Open in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter number 1. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. I hope it was a blessing to you. I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, I hope your Christmas was so merry that it upset a communist. Amen? The communists hate Christmas, don't they? And um, I'm not a big Christmas person, as you know. And uh, But the, I was sitting there the other day. I was talking to somebody, and I'm not going to say who, uh, but it was Caleb Willett. And we were talking, and uh, he said, you know, he said, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little burnt out from Christmas. I'm paraphrasing. He said, I'm a little burnt out from Christmas. He said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of over it now. And I said, well, Caleb, the problem is you peaked too early. You started celebrating Christmas back in November. If you had waited to start celebrating, then it would have been just right. And, and to that end, I was sitting there last night. My family was gathered together for uh, Christmas, and I was sitting there, and I, I thought to myself, I love Christmas. When it's the day before, the day of, or the day after Christmas, I love Christmas. I don't love it in August. Somebody say amen to that. But when it's the day before, the day of, or the day after, I can get in the Christmas spirit. Amen. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm appreciative for the Lord. I am appreciative for this time of year. I'm appreciative for what it means in the mind and heart of God. Amen. That Christ Jesus robed himself in flesh and came, took part in the human experience, that he became flesh and walked amongst us, that we, hey, listen, he, he became man and walked amongst us. Uh, he became like man and walked amongst us so that we could become like God and walk amongst him. Amen. What a blessing that is. Uh, Matthew chapter number one this morning, and I'm going to preach uh, a Christmas message because I just am having trouble letting Christmas go. Amen. Matthew chapter number one, verse number 18, the Bible says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, Mary, was a spouse to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for letting us gather here today. Lord, I pray you'd be with those that are traveling right now. Lord, we have many that are on the road and we just pray that you give them safe traveling mercies. I pray for those that might be sick under the weather. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just touch them, heal them wherever they're at. Lord, I pray for any others providentially hindered, that you'd bless them, that you'd help them, that you'd strengthen them, Lord. And I pray that for us today, here in this place, that you would deal with our hearts. Lord, we need to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that your word, I know it's up to the task, but I pray that we would receive your word as it is in truth, not the words of men, but the word of God, that we would hear your word, that we would heed your word, Lord, and that we would hold it dear unto our hearts. We'll be sure to thank you for what takes place. Lord, we love you, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter number 1 is the first telling of the Christmas story in the New Testament, in the Gospel record. And, you know, as I began to ponder on and think about Christmas and what it means for 
various groups of people. You know, sometimes what you've been through in life and, and even your personality can inform the way that you view certain things. There'd be some folks, you could take them to a Tennessee football game, man, they'd be in tall cotton. They'd just be the most excited that you could ever be. Uh, others you could take to them and they'd be bored to death the whole time. I remember years ago, uh, my sister and uh, and brother-in-law took me. I was just a little boy. We went to Bristol Motor Speedway. I had heard about how Bristol was the most exciting race that you could ever go to in your entire life. I mean, wrecks and crashes every two seconds. And when you're like a 10-year-old boy, that sounds like the greatest thing ever. And uh, they took me to Bristol, and I'm sitting there, and all these people are screaming, and I'm screaming, and everything's exciting, and the roar of the motors, and oh, it's so odd, just adrenaline's pumping. And about 20 minutes passed, and they were still screaming, and I was starting to get over it. And then like 45 minutes passed, and like nobody had wrecked, and I was really getting over it. And about an hour in, somebody wrecked finally. Man, it was thrilling. I mean, their, their head probably came off. I don't know, because you can't really see from where you're at. But I thought, this is incredible. I'm so excited. And the next 45 minutes, I watched a a caution car go around the lap as slow as if my grandmama was driving it. And finally, about four hours in, something burnt. I had done eat the turkey leg. I was absolutely over. And I looked around, and, and people were still just brimming with excitement over it. And I thought to myself, I don't know what they're watching, but whatever they're watching is not what I'm watching. Sometimes people experience things a little different. I thought about this Christmas season. You know, if you're somebody that loves Christmas, and if you're somebody that is at a season, a stage in your life where memories are being made and and they're precious to you, this is a time of the year that you probably love. But you know, there's others that as they experience this, they may experience it in a little bit different way. And when we read the Christmas story, there is a prism through which we can see it. And we see stars and wise men and shepherds and mangers and stables and inns. And we see all of these beautiful things. Somehow a little drummer boy walks on the stage. We don't know how. He's nowhere in the Bible. And, and you, you see all these. And, and it holds all these treasured, cherished memories for you. But I think if we read the Christmas story, and if we take off the glasses of nostalgia and festivity, I think we will find that in the Christmas story, there are some difficult things that are taking place. You know, it reminds me, there are different ways that people experience Christmas. And I just jotted these down. You know, Christmas is a precious time for some. I'm having to always remind myself that of that every year. There's some folks, it's their favorite thing, favorite favorite holiday, favorite everything. They love it. Uh, one of the announcements I was supposed to make, but it wasn't in my phone and it wasn't on the bulletin, so I forgot it, so I'm going to make it right now. It's on January 8th. The ladies will meet here at 10 a.m. or anybody's going to meet here at 10 a.m. and take down Christmas decorations. And um, so remember that. Amen. Don't pay the, tune out of sermon here for a moment and pay attention. January 8th, 10 a.m., they're going to take down the Christmas decorations. And I was talking to, uh, you know, Miss Carolyn. She said, don't forget to announce it on December 8th. We're going to do that. I said, January 8th? She said, yeah, yeah. We don't want to leave them up for a whole year. And then I saw this twinkle in her eye when she said that. Like it just occurred to her, maybe we just leave them up the whole year. I said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be bothered by that, which she said, no, no. And I, I have to remind myself, this is a time of year that some people it's precious to. They love it. I'm trying to be more festive for my children because I don't want them to grow up and not have all of the enjoyment and excitement and enthusiasm about Christmas. But then I'm reminded, and maybe this is part of the reason I think this way is because as a pastor, you see people not only in their moments of strength and joy, but in their moments of sorrow and vulnerability. I'm reminded that Christmas is a painful time for some people. 
It's a time when they're reminded about people they've lost. It's a time when they are reminded very often about issues in their family sometimes that can't get resolved. Every Christmas is occupied with two different groups of people that get on your nerves. The people you can meet with and the people you can't meet with. Amen? Every year, it's a painful thing for some people. And we need to be reminded at this time of year that there's some folks that are struggling. They're, 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 they're drowning. They, they feel like they're just treading water and they're trying to get through. And don't forget in all of the joy and all of the festivity and all of the celebration to keep a sensitive spiritual eye open to those that may be struggling at this time of year. Because there's going to be some folks that need your encouragement and some folks that need your prayer. But then I read this Christmas story and I'm reading about a, a, a man who has uh, in, been engaged to this young lady. And they've got their entire life ahead of them. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says she's found with child. And you and I know the story and we know the truth of it. We know that that's the Christ child. We know that it was conceived of the Holy Ghost. We know there was no unfaithfulness in that relationship. But for a moment, would you put yourself in Joseph's shoes? And think about what that first Christmas must have been like for him. It reminds me that Christmas is a precious time for some. It's a painful time for others. But let me say it this way. Christmas is a pressing time for many of us. Somehow we tend to think that the devil takes the, 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 the week off on Christmas. I don't wonder if he's working overtime sometimes. Sometimes in the midst of this time of year, it's easy to forget that God hadn't took vacation. He's still working in our lives. That the devil has not called in. He's still working in our lives. That there are things transpiring during this time of year. And I know it's easy. If you're like me, you, you may feel sometimes like you reach a threshold and all of a sudden, okay, no more work days between now and Christmas. No more responsibilities. Got all the gifts bought. Got all this. Got all that. And you may have woke up this morning and breathed your first Christmas-free breath of air for the next year. But don't forget that in this time, in this season... God's still working in people's lives. God's still working in your life. And this is a pressing time. Listen, holidays are a time when a lot of families have been blown up. And a lot of families have been bonded together. It's a time when a lot of hearts have been broken. And a time when a lot of hearts have been mended. It's a time when the devil has gotten victories. And it's a time when the Lord can get victories. And the question in our life is what are we going to see God do during this time of year. I want you to notice three interesting perspectives that we find in the Christmas story. And I want to just preach to you a little bit about crisis at Christmas. Times whenever the pressures and the weight of everything transpiring begin to pile in. And moments, you know what a crisis is. A crisis is not a tragedy. A crisis is a crossroads. It's a moment when we must decide how things are going to transpire. And this Christmas season, this moment, even though I know we're the day after it, but this Christmas season, we have a choice as to who's going to get glory out of our lives, whether the devil is or whether God is. In our text this morning that we've read, we see a picture of a young man who is wrestling and grappling with the realities of a problem between him and his fiancée. The woman that he's espoused to, that he had placed his confidence in, that he had trusted, he has trusted her with his honor. He has trusted her with his integrity. He has trusted her with his reputation. Their whole life is in front of them. And now all of a sudden, it seems as though everything begins to come crashing down. 
all of a sudden this young lady that he thought was pure, that he thought was honorable, that he thought had integrity, that he thought loved the Lord, now he has reason to doubt that that's the case. I don't know and I don't want to use too much sanctified imagination in preaching the Word of God, but I would imagine that conversation was a little chilly between Joseph and Mary at this time. The Bible says he thought on these things in verse 20. You know what that means? He was grappling with them. He was struggling with the terms and and nature of his relationship with Mary and what that would mean. And let me say it this way. This is a man that is no doubt deeply hurt by what he sees as the betrayal of someone that he cares deeply for. It reminds me of this this morning. You know, sometimes there is conflict at Christmas. Sometimes you gather with people that there's a reason you only see them one time a year. Somebody give me an amen right there. Sometimes you're gathering with people where there has been hurt and there has been history and there has been problems. Sometimes you're meeting with someone and you need the healing and grace of God. And sometimes when you meet with them, everything's fine. But before it's all said and done and all the eggnogs drunk up and the candles blown out, everything's blown up. Sometimes in your Christmas season, there's going to be conflict that takes place. How do we deal with that? How do we address it? How do we keep a vigilant, sober eye out for the devil trying to disrupt and destroy the peace of God in our family? I think Joseph teaches us how. I think that Joseph, we don't know much about him really. More is said about Joseph in this passage than anywhere else in the Word of God. More emphasis is given to his reaction and his testimony here. And I think that's fitting because when we read this uh, testimony of this man that is struggling, that is questioning, he is no doubt angry. He is no doubt hurt. He is no doubt trying to find a way to move past this with the person that he loves and trying to find a way to somehow salvage the home that they had hoped to build. We have in him a good example of how we're to treat those that we have conflict with. Notice what it says here in verse 18. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now notice verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Say, preacher, what do I do when there's conflict Not just at Christmas, but any time in my life. I would say number one this morning in conflict, seek to have the pity of the Lord in how you deal with people. I don't know how you would have done things, but I can imagine how I would have. I would have said she knew what she was doing. She knew she was running the risk of her testimony being destroyed, of her life being destroyed. And I don't know that I would have had the integrity that Joseph did but he cares more for her and her reputation than he cares for himself. And instead of doing what most of us would have done, which would have been marching her down right to the middle of the town square and proclaiming boldly and publicly that she had been unfaithful and asking for a writ of divorce, he instead minds to put her away privily. This would have been difficult for Joseph. No doubt, if people was as nosy then as they are now, he would have been inundated with questions. I can just see him going to the potluck. What happened to that pretty girl you was bringing around? What happened to Mary? Are you all not okay now? But instead, he's willing to do that. He's willing to endure the humiliation for himself, the, the difficulty for himself, the battle that it will mean if he can somehow protect her and treat her better. 
I would say this, that when we run into conflict in our families and our homes, we need to be seeking to have the heart and love of Christ in how we deal with one another. You know, James said it this way, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Sometimes in the midst of those family conflicts, and we could move beyond family conflicts. I just know you're going to see family at this time of year. Some of y'all ain't done with Christmas yet. You've still got to meet with people. You've been meeting with people, with family. But whether it's in family, whether it's in your church, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your your co-workers, wherever it might be, the the natural thing to do is to respond in kind, that knee-jerk reaction to defend yourself, to fight for yourself, to prove that you're right, to prove that they're wrong. But you know what instead we should be doing? We should be praying and saying, Lord, give me a heart to love them the way that you love them. Teach me to pity them. Teach me to prefer one another above myself and to instead love them with compassion. I know that your flesh don't think this, but conflict don't get resolved through anger. It's not how peace is made. And he could have done what most people would have done, right? He could have done what I would have probably done, which is to to drag her out in public and humiliate her and say, it's not my fault. I kept up my end of the bargain. I kept myself pure, but she chose to do this. Instead, he's willing to suffer the shame and humiliation, the searching looks Uh, the skeptical uh, responses when he explains that what's going on here. And imagine being Joseph. You can't even explain what happened. You can't even explain what happened. You can't even tell them, no, this is what happened. She was not unfaithful. His was only a path of pain and humiliation. But he said, instead of considering me, I want to consider her and the way this affects her. I'd say, number one, in conflict, we need to seek to have the pity of the Lord. But then look at verse 20. The Bible says this, while he thought on these things. I got news for you, fellas. Listen, Joseph is already a far better example of what it means to be a Christian husband than most of us are. You know why? Because he took the time to think on these things. You know what it implies? An inward wrestling. He grappled with them. He pondered on them. He struggled over them. You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to get a sense of what the right course of action was. He had already made his mind up that he wasn't going to humiliate Mary, that he wasn't going to be retaliatory in the way that he responded. He had already decided he wasn't going to try to harm her, he wasn't going to try to destroy her, but now he's saying, how do I move ahead in all of these things? And here's what he's doing. He is meditating, he is pondering, he is praying, he is seeking for the mind of God in this matter. You know what we should do when conflict shows up Christmas time, when conflict shows up at Thanksgiving? I don't know, if your family gets together for Arbor Day, you probably have arguments then. But whenever it is, when conflict crops up, you know what we ought to do? We ought to seek for the prudence of the Lord. Instead of speaking first and then hoping there's forgiveness later, we ought to stop and step back, take breath, and talk to the Lord about it. Imagine how different our problems would be is if instead of talking to them first, we talk to Him first. Imagine how different our problems would be. If we stopped and said, now, Lord, what do you expect of me? What do you want of me? What do you desire out of my life? How can I be like you in this? How can I be a good testimony? How can I exemplify the compassion and wisdom of Christ? If instead of just jumping, as we are all apt to do, this guy right here more than anyone, instead of doing that, if we stopped and thought on these things, Joseph had the wisdom to not rush in. He had the wisdom to not answer before he had thought. He had the wisdom to stop and to say, Lord, I may not have the right of this thing. So God, give me wisdom. God, give me prudence. 
I'd say when there's conflict, and if you're around family, friends, if you're around anybody really, anytime you're around people, there's problems. Anytime you're around a crowd, there's conflict. When that happens, we need to seek the pity of the Lord. When that happens, we need to seek the prudence of the Lord. But look again at verse 20. He says, but while he thought on these things, he's praying, he's pondering, he's struggling with it, he's wrestling with it. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So what does Joseph do? Well, the first thing he does is he acts in compassion and pity, not in self-interest or self-preservation. He says, it would be easier for me to just expose this to the world, to shame her and humiliate her, and I could be the victim and somebody would pity me and somebody would feel sorry, but instead, I'm going to try to look out for her interests. Then he sought the prudence of the Lord. He said, instead of just speaking, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to try to have the mind and wisdom of God. But I would say this this morning, in the midst of conflict, we ought to be seeking the purpose of the Lord. You know what he did? Whenever he's struggling with this, the angel shows up and says this, Joseph, let me tell you why this is happening to you. And you know who it had the least to do with? Was Joseph. It had the least to do with Joseph. The angel shows up and says, what's going on in Mary's life? God's doing that. God has conceived in her a child of the Holy Ghost. That child is the Messiah, is the Christ. When he's born, you're going to name him Jesus so that everybody knows that salvation is of Jehovah because he's going to save uh, his people from their sins. In other words, God unveils this massive plan and purpose that Joseph had no possible way of being able to know. I I don't want to, to, to try to assume what's going on in Joseph's mind. But I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be bold, alright, and I'm gonna venture this, that at no point in Joseph grappling with what had taken place did he say, oh, you know what I bet happened? I bet that she conceived of the Holy Ghost, and I bet that she was not unfaithful to me. I bet what happened is this is actually God manifest in the flesh, and He's gonna be born, and this is the Messiah. I bet what God's doing is bringing about the entirety of the plan of redemption right now. In Mary. I'm just going to venture a guess to say, if he had guessed a million times, he would have never guessed right. You know, sometimes we look at conflict going on in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our, our workplace, our church, wherever it might be, and we struggle because we cannot fathom what God is doing there. And if we were to guess a million times, we would never be able to guess all the intricacies of what God's doing. You know what Joseph had the wisdom to do, though? He had the wisdom to ask God about it. Sometimes we want for God to let us, like a baby bird, push us out of the nest, let us go on our own. That ain't the way it works, all right? Uh, we're not we're not flying under our own wings. We're sheltering under His wings. And if we want help, if we want wisdom, if we want direction, oftentimes we're going to have to ask God for it. Whenever that happens, I'm trying to get you to broaden your view. Instead of looking at what you did to them and what they did to you, why don't you look at what God is trying to do in both your lives? Won't you step back and say, what is God doing here? Not what did they do. You know what they did or you think you do. Not what you did. You know what you did. Won't you step back and say, Lord, what's your purpose in all this? 
What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to grow me? What are you trying to do in their life? What are you trying to do in the lives of others? Because mark her down. You've heard me say this. God's the greatest multitasker. He's never doing just one thing at a time. He's always doing multiple things. And the chances are, try as you may, you probably don't have the whole handle of what God's trying to do. In conflict, seek the purpose of the Lord. And then I love what Joseph does here. Look down at verse 24. It says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Uh, sometimes there's there's value in trying to place yourself in the shoes of Bible characters. It's, it's instructive about human nature. And I'm just going to listen. I'm going to tip my hat to Joseph here because he did something I don't know if I could have done. He took God at His Word. And even when it wasn't easy, he followed the Lord. Even when it was difficult, even when it meant humiliation, even when others did not understand, he purposed in his heart that what God said was enough. And he had the peace of the Lord. You know what we need to do in the midst of conflict, home, work, family, whatever it is, church? We need to make up our mind that once we know that we're doing right, once we know that we're doing the will of God, once we know that we've done all we can, that we're willing to step back and say, now, Lord, the rest is up to you. And there may be people that don't understand. They may not recognize or understand exactly what has happened or what's taking place. But God, as long as you know, that's enough for me. I tell you what I would have done. I would have woke up and I would have blamed that as a funny dream from eating crystals. Amen? I, I mean, I would have doubted God every step of the way. I mean, I would I would have woke up. You know how a dream is. I understand this is more than just a dream, but you know how a dream is. You wake up and for the first 2.4 seconds, you remember every detail. And then five seconds after that, you don't remember none of it. You're like, well, we were in a car somewhere and I think somebody was there and that kid I went to kindergarten with showed up and I would have woke up, I would have brushed off, I would have said, well, that was probably just my imagination and I'm sure that she did exactly what I thought she did and I'm going to handle this myself. But instead, Joseph, when God's trying to give him peace, he accepts the peace of the Lord. You know, a lot of times we don't have peace because God's trying to give us peace and we're shoving it back in his face. We're not done being angry. We're not done being hurt. We're not done making our point. And so when God's trying to give us peace, we're saying, nope, I don't want it. Instead, I want to just stay here in my anger. Joseph had enough wisdom to determine to accept the peace of God. And over the next few months, when people, by the way, did not understand, and again, human nature is the same no matter where you're at. Ever since the Garden of Eden, it's been the same. I'm sure as as Mary began to show and it became evident that she was pregnant with child, I'm sure there was people that wagged their tongues. I'm sure there were people that criticized. I'm sure there was people that sat back and told everything that went wrong with that young marriage and why they're so immoral and why they're so ungodly. And Joseph just kept his eyes on the Lord and kept serving God and said, I'm determined. God knows and that's enough. That's enough for me. I would say in conflict, we need to seek the pity of the Lord, to love folks, have compassion, think of others before us, seek the prudence of the Lord. Not, not rush in, instead pray, seek the Lord's wisdom and how we're to behave. We need to seek the purpose of the Lord. God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in their life? What are you doing in this issue? And then seek the peace of the Lord. Turn over to Luke chapter number one with me. I want to give you another example. Sometimes at Christmas time there is a conflict. And if you hang around uh, anybody with a human nature within them long enough, eventually there's going to be conflict. We as God's people need to know how to deal 
with conflict. But then I think there's something else that takes place at Christmas. Luke chapter number 1. And I want you to notice, there's another announcement taking place. There's the announcement that Joseph receives, but then there's an announcement that Mary receives. In verse 26 it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse, to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Let me say, not only is there sometimes conflict at the Christmas season, but whether it be at the Christmas season, whether it be any holiday, sometimes there is confusion at this time of year. Mary is struggling to understand three things about God's work in her life. Here's Mary just going about, you know, living her life, making her plan. She knows what's coming down the pack. She's, she's got this young man, Joseph. They love each other. They're going to get married. Uh, he's going to uh, open a carpenter shop. They're going to have a beautiful family. They're going to have children. Her whole life is laid out in front of her till one day when the angel shows up and gives her this strange message. Thou art highly favored among women. And all of a sudden, here's what she realizes. She realizes God's fixing to do something in my life. You know, sometimes one of the things we struggle with in the Christmas season, it can relate to financial problems. It can relate to marital problems. It can relate to familial problems. It can relate to health problems. But sometimes this time of year, it's not without its pressing matters. It's not without its difficulties. And sometimes we just wonder why things can't be easier than they are. Sometimes we wonder why it has to be a battle. Sometimes we wonder why the devil won't take the week off. Sometimes we wonder why life still happens even in this most joyous of seasons. Sometimes we are confused at what God is doing in our life. Notice three things that she's struggling with. Whenever the angel gives her this salutation, verse 29, she was troubled. She was disturbed. She wasn't joyful. She didn't say, oh, this is great. This is exactly what I expected. Instead, she doesn't know what this means. The angel, verse 39, or 30, said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Boy, that all sounds great to us, right? That's because we're not Mary. Imagine what this would mean for her life. It would mean, number one, that her life would be completely and entirely eclipsed by the testimony and life of the child she was about to have. It would mean she was about to undergo an experience, a, a, a process that no human being had ever experienced before. She didn't know what all that entailed to conceive a child of the Holy Ghost. She's been told that she's going to see her child, whom she loves with all of her heart, go to a cross and die for her sins and ours. You see, we look at it and we think, oh, how glorious, isn't that wonderful? I could see that on the front of a Christmas card. But if you'd been the person going through it, you'd have probably been confused at what God was doing in your life. You ever got a sense that God's doing something in your life, but you don't have a clue what it is? Maybe it's just me. I don't know, Mike. Maybe it's just me. There's times in my life that 
things are taking place that are not in accordance to the natural expectations of human behavior. Times when you can see things converging, dovetailing in your life, and it becomes apparent to you that God is trying to do something. He's trying to tell you something. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to work in the lives of others. You can't put your thumb on it, but somehow you know God's in all this. And sometimes it can be a struggle to trust God when God won't let you in on what He's doing in the first place. Uh, Many a Christian has been sunk and derailed by not being able to cope with God not letting them in on His plan. Moses was this way. God let Moses know the end, the destination. What He didn't let Moses know was the process. He told Moses, He said, you're going to lead the children of Israel out with a high hand, Moses. And Moses said, great, I'm ready for it. I'm 40 years old, prime of my life. If you're 40, I just complimented you. If you're under 40, I just complimented you. If you're over 40, I love you. Moses said, now's the time. I'm ready. Let's go do it. Right? Let's take on Egypt with a water pistol. And instead, he got it all wrong. You know why? God didn't let him in on the process because it wasn't time for Moses to know the process. And it almost destroyed his life. That wasn't God's fault. That was Moses' fault due to his impatience. And I would say in our lives, sometimes we struggle because we know God's doing something, but we just don't understand what He's doing. Mary did not understand what God was doing in her life. She was troubled, confused at it. Not only that, look at verse 34. Mary asked a very natural question, then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. In other words, we could say it this way. And he goes on, he says, Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Mary asked a question anyone would ask. How, God? She now knows what, and she's beginning to come to terms with what. Now she wonders about how. The angel answers, and basically says this, God's going to do it in His way. Now God gave her more detail than that. But there's a reason that that whole little conversation ends with this. For with God, nothing is impossible. You know why? Because the answer God gave her was not the answer she was looking for. A a reasonable answer would have been, well, it's going to happen after you and Joseph are married. You're going to come together and there will be a child that's produced from that. Or could have been, Joseph's not the will of God for your life. Instead, here's this person. You're going to marry them. Any of that would have been rational. She could have understood that. She could have processed it. Instead, God shows up and says, well, you're going to conceive a child of the Holy Ghost. That answer is as good as not getting an answer to the rational mind. And so he says, don't forget, Mary, God can do things that are impossible. Things that man can't even fathom. Things that man cannot even do. Sometimes what we struggle with is not what God's doing. Sometimes what we struggle with is how He's doing. Sometimes I wish I could make this agreement with God where He decides on the what and I decide on the how and the when. I feel like my Christian life would go a lot more smoothly for me if God decided on the what, but then He said, all right, Toby, now you decide on the how and the when. But i got news for you. We don't decide on none of it. The Lord does. Sometimes what we struggle with is the way God's going to bring these things to pass. Sometimes in your life, you may look at it and you may say, God, why'd you have to do it this way? Why'd you have to do it? Why could I only learn this lesson through this pain? Why could I only develop this character through this pain? Why does it have to be this way? 
I don't think God begrudges you asking why. As long as at the end of the day, you're willing to recognize that His way is the best way. She struggled with how God was doing it. But then notice what it says. There's a little hint here. Look down at verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country. She's a mountain girl. Went into the mountains with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth is her cousin. Look down at verse 56 with me. Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. You ever ask why she did that? God didn't tell her to do that. God didn't say, now Mary, you go and you stay with Elizabeth for a little while. This is something Mary decides to do. I think there's two reasons that she decided to do it. One, undoubtedly at that time, she didn't know that Elizabeth was with child until the angel told her that. And probably she's wanting confirmation that what the angel has told her is true. She knew when she walked in the door and all of a sudden, uh, Elizabeth, that, that John the Baptist left in her womb at the presence of Mary and, and Elizabeth starts testifying. She knows that God is doing this in her life. But now, let me ask you a real rational question here. We don't know how long it took. I'm sure you'd get a Bible map and deduce it out. But I'm sure it didn't take no three months to get there. And it wouldn't take no three months to get back. So here's my question. Why'd she stay three months? Well, the chances are it would take her three months to know, number one, that she's with child, and number two, to know that that pregnancy is viable, that it's going to survive. Probably at the end of three months, she would begin to show and couldn't hide it anymore. In other words, here's what she's doing. She's waiting to make sure that what God said is going to come to pass is going to come to pass. You know what she's struggling with? First, she struggled with what God was doing. Lord, I don't understand what you're trying to do in my life. God says, this is what I'm doing. Then she struggles with how. Well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to accomplish this? Why do you have to do it this way? And she comes to terms with that. Now she's struggling with when God is going to do it. Probably, if you had asked Mary, she would have said, <laughs> like most uh, women probably would, I wish I could just be pregnant one day, skip the next nine months, and then have a baby in my arms. Miss all the morning sickness and the sciatic and all that noise and nonsense. And I'm sure Mary would have preferred for things to be over like that. But instead, you know, we find the work of God is a process, not just a point in time. And what God's doing in our lives is something that very often is going to take time to develop. I don't know about you. I struggle with patience. I am that person that honks at people in drive-thrus. Go! What are you doing? You got your, you got your straw? Just go! Why does a person go through a drive-thru order 35 hamburgers? If your office wants Wendy's, get out of the car like a decent human being and go in and buy it. Amen? We're not gonna go there. I'm just, I'm struggling. All I'm saying is, I'm not a patient person. I want things done yesterday. I don't like to wait. I want it over with. I don't like things hanging around. I don't like things lingering. I want closure. I want it done. I want it over. Boy, I wish God felt that way. But you know, very often He doesn't. And the reason why is because God's doing just as much in the process as He is in the act itself. God's doing things in our life all along the journey, not just getting us to a destination. If God's sole interest was to get us to a destination, He would have saved you and then took you right home to glory. But instead, He left you here 
And so you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that when God is doing things is something that at times you're going to be confused at. How do we, how do we deal with that? How, how do we process that? Well, I think verse 38 tells us. Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. What does she mean when she says the handmaid of the Lord? Remember who a handmaid is, right? A handmaid is a servant. Typically was bought and paid for and owned in that day. The same way that Hagar was the bought and paid for servant and slave of Sarah in the Old Testament. You know what Mary says? Mary says, well, Lord, my life's yours. I belong to you. You do with it as you please. Now somebody's going to say, preacher, that's not easy. I didn't say it was easy. But preacher, that don't make me feel better when I do that. I didn't say it make you feel better. But I will tell you this, your life will turn out far better if you'll put it in the hands of the Lord than it would be if you took it into your own hands. <laughs> Man, I could fill a phone book with the things that I've messed up because I wouldn't let God handle it. I mean, I could fill a phone book. I could, we're talking, I, I mean, Encyclopedia Britannica letters A through Z and Roman numerals with things that if I had just been patient, if I had just waited on God, if I had just trusted Him, if I had just, things I didn't understand, but things I didn't need to understand because I'm not God. He's God. I can trust Him to be God. But I took it into my own hands. I put myself on His throne. I took believers out of His hands. And made a mess of things. When you're confused, what do you do? You trust Him. You say, preacher, what do you do when you're not confused? You trust Him. Preacher, what do you do when you're mad? You trust Him. Preacher, what do you do when you're hurt? You trust Him. He's a trustworthy God. That never changes about Him. You and I may change. There may be seasons in life. There's been times that I've known somebody. And when I knew Him, you could set your watch by Him. There was a solid individual. But sometime later, all of a sudden, they change. Man, I'm glad with God there's no uh, no uh, verimless, neither shadow of turning. He's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You trusted Him when you got born again. Why can't you trust Him now? Commit yourself to Him. Commit yourself to Him. Sometimes there is uh, confusion at Christmas. And then turn over to chapter 2. I'm going to read this, say a few things, and be done. Three difficult things, pressing things that we deal with oftentimes this time of year or any holiday season. And, and let me let me clarify this while you find your place there in Luke 2. I'm not saying that it's not pressing at other times. I'm saying for some reason we think it won't be right now. I, I'm not trying to get you to understand that this is a different time of year. I'm trying to get you to understand it's not. God's working in your life now like He is in the middle of July. God's working in your life now like He is on Arbor Day. Uh, the devil's trying to destroy you now like He was on Memorial Day. He's trying to destroy you now like He will be in the middle of February. We're the ones that let down our guard and somehow miss that all these things are hovering, orbiting around us. God is working in our life. The devil's trying to destroy us. Sometimes there's confusion. Sometimes there's conflict. But look at verse number 8 of chapter 2. The Bible says they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. You know, it's interesting. We, we have this picture of Joseph and the angel appears to him. And to us, it's a joyful experience. Oh, glory! Now I know what's going on. But I don't know that that was true. I think Joseph struggled after, just like he struggled before. I think that whenever we come to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, it's not a magical season where the, the, the uh, roads are bedusted with snow and there's tinsel and, and uh, there's all kinds of lights and, and, and wreaths everywhere. Instead, you're going into the home of a man who is broken and struggling and seeing what God's doing in his life. When you come to Mary... We again picture in our mind, we, we've allowed the Catholics to sell us this image of Mary as a perpetually uh, virgin, venerated individual that is somehow a deity in flesh. That's not who and what she was. The Bible never says this what she was. And we imagine this thing of the angel coming to her and this great angelic glow coming across her face, the halo up above. But I don't think that's what you'd see. I think you'd see a scared little girl who's just trying to make sense out of what God's doing in her life. But... I think when you come to the shepherds, I think we've got it pretty right. I think when we imagine these these common working people out in the field, a, a sleepy night there in, in Bethlehem, and, and they're out in the field tending their flocks, and all of a sudden, like like, a, like some kind of celestial event, all of a sudden, like a like, like a comet bursting forth, there's there's this great opening of heaven and, and this glow and these angels proclaiming this glorious message. And man, I think when they heard it, I think they were excited. I think it's exactly the way we envision. Up until we come down to verse number 18. The uh, shepherds go, they see the Christ child there in the manger in swaddling clothes. They know it's true. They're excited, they're thrilled, and they want everybody to know what a wonderful thing God has done. But verse 18 says, And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Now, there's two ways we can think about that word wonder. We can be wondered. Or we can be wondered. I think we look at that and we think to ourselves, oh, people were so excited at the great Christmas story that had just been told. That's where that little drummer boy was. He's probably hanging out. That's why he came. But I don't think that's what we're being told in the Bible. I think that probably the, the, the people responded then the way they'd respond now. Them crazy shepherds talking about a Messiah. The Messiah is not going to be some infant, not going to be some baby. What's a M- Messiah? What's he talking about? The the, the Israel is supposed to be prepared for the Messiah when the Messiah comes. They're supposed to be a godly, consecrated people. That, that's not happened yet. There, there, there's all these things. The Romans are still ruling. And here's what I think they said. I think that I think they probably thought, "Well, I'm glad you're excited, but that sounds a little crazy to me." I'd say this, oftentimes Christmas time, you're going to meet with family, Thanksgiving, whenever it is, whenever you're meeting with people, this is true for all different times of the year. Sometimes there's going to be conflict. Sometimes there's going to be confusion. But let me say this, sometimes there's going to be criticism. Sometimes people ain't going to understand what it's all about. 
they come and they want them to understand what makes this night so special is that the Christ child has been born. I'll tell you this, there is a systematic effort in society to remove Christ from Christmas. To make it about any and everything but God. I was, anybody believe in Santa Claus? Taylor? You know, alright. Mike, you're good. We, we were in, and, and, uh, Kirsty said something about this, uh, the other day, and, and it resonated with me now in retrospect. Yeah, we don't, if you teach kids about Santa Claus, it's just between you and God and Santa Claus, alright? I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Not my business. But we, we've never taught Lawrence and Schofield about it. We just don't. We've always, we've always said God blesses us, and, and that's why we're able to buy you the gifts that we are. It's because God's blessed us, and, we just, I just, I'm too big of a chicken to have that conversation one day when I have to admit that, that, that Santa Claus and, uh, and constitutional representation and fiat money are all fake. All right. And, and I just, and so we just don't, right? And we'll be sitting in a restaurant. This happened several times this year. And, and the waitress will come up and say, are you excited for Santa Claus? And Lawrence goes, he don't know how to respond, right? I think he's afraid that she believes in Santa Claus and he doesn't want to blow it for her. You know, he doesn't know what to do. And so he just gets this deer in headlights look and, <laughs> and we try to explain, you know, to, then, then it's a whole big thing. I can't even go out to eat at Christmas. You want to know why I don't like Christmas? This is why I can't even go out to eat. At, my, my time at Cracker Barrel was all spent trying to soothe the childhood delusions of a waitress. All right. I'm trying to explain how I'm not judgmental of her, and I don't care what she teaches her kids. That's between her and God, and it doesn't matter, and can I please get my grits? That's all I care about. I don't have these problems in July, all right? But, you know, the statement that we've made is, well, we've never taught them about the Easter Bunny, because the Easter Bunny's not real, right? Uh, you know, we, we've never taught about the Tooth Fairy, because the Tooth Fairy's not real, and, and, and if we're being honest, a little creepy. Um and so we didn't teach, you know, about Santa Claus. It's your business. I'm not, I don't care whether you do or not. It doesn't matter to me. But I'm just saying, here's the thing. Part of the reason the Christmas season is being inundated with fairy tales is to try to, by comparison, make this seem like a fairy tale. To try to, to try to extract Christ from Christmas and try to make it just a generic holiday that has no connections to Christianity. Sometimes when you're meeting with your family and you do things like you say, well, before we open the gifts, we're going to read Luke chapter 2. Or, you know, before before we, we you know, open the gifts, let's have a word of prayer. Or, or you say something like, you know, let's all remember while we're celebrating this what the reason for all this is, that it's not about the food and it's not about the gift, but it's about Jesus Christ. Some, you're going to get those eye rolls. You can get that, oh, here we go again. Here goes Uncle So-and-so. Here goes Aunt So-and-so. All right, here goes Mama or Papa going on again. Okay, Mom. Okay, Dad. Sometimes you're going to get that cynicism, that criticism. Sometimes they're just going to flat out tell you, why do you have to make every family event the church service? What do you do when that happens? How do you respond? Notice three things here very quickly. One, there's a supernatural revelation, and that's why the shepherds were excited. They didn't lose sight of the fact that God had done something in their life and that what they were celebrating was real. There's a lot we're celebrating right now that ain't real. Let me tell you something. What happened that night in Bethlehem 
when God robed Himself in flesh and walked onto humanity's stage, that was real. And the shepherds, they never lost sight of that. Man, they saw that it was real what they were celebrating and it changed their life. Don't forget the reason that we make everything about Christ is not because we're all about Christ. It's because everything is about Christ. We're not making it that. It is that. We're just willing to celebrate it. There was a supernatural revelation. Not only that, look at verse 18. There was a skeptical response. They, they all wondered. They all sort of criticized. They all just sort of, okay, that's great. I doubt that's true. I don't know what you saw. I don't know what you thought you saw. But, you know, we know what the truth of the matter is. Listen, I, I wish it wasn't like that. I, I wish people had the decency. I mean, I, listen, I wouldn't, if atheists had some holiday that, that they had, or, or whatever, I, I don't, I don't go around trying to rain on Buddhist parades, right? I wish we had the decency to not be that way, but in society, the sad truth is, the world hated Christ then, it hates Him now, and oftentimes that hostility that is uniquely only shown towards Bible Christianity. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? The atheists aren't going on a thing to remove all pictures of the Easter Bunny from things. Why? Because they know He's not real. So why are they trying to get Christ out of everything? Because I think in their heart of hearts they know He is real. But the reality is you're going to have to deal with some of that. If you expect that you're never going to have to be salt, which means you're never going to have to sting with wherever you're applied, if you believe that in being light you're never going to have to pierce darkness, then I'm sorry. You've got the wrong of it. Someone lied to you. Being salt and light, you know what it means? It means being different. It means being agitating. And I don't mean being caustic or ugly, but being distinct in the environment that we're in. There was a skeptical response. But now notice this. Verse 19 says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Isn't it interesting the way the Holy Ghost just kind of drops that in there? Mary, why are we talking about Mary? We're already out here in the streets of Bethlehem with the shepherd. She's all the way back at the manger. Why are we talking about Mary? Here's why. The Holy Ghost is showing a comparison. There was a skeptical response from some, but there was a searching reaction from another. The shepherds come in, and remember, Mary and Joseph, they have not seen this heavenly host. All they know is there's a child in being. All of the glowing attendance of uh, uh, that, that's there. None of this has happened yet, and a lot of it won't happen at all. But I mean, none of it's happened yet. They're just there, and, and they're they're checking on Mary, making sure she's okay, cleaning up the baby, cleaning her up, making sure everybody's all right, making sure. And all of a sudden, these shepherds burst in and say, "You'll never believe it. God has spoken from heaven. The angels have appeared. They've said that this little child is the Christ child." It was as much news, and I'm not saying it's the first time Mary heard it, but what had happened out in that field was news to Mary as much as it was to the people on the streets of Bethlehem. And what the Holy Ghost is trying to remind us, there will be some that scoff, there will be some that criticize, there will be some that, that, that are cynical, but there's going to be some that listen. There's going to be some that ponder those things. Don't think, I know you're probably saying, Preacher, I've been witnessing to the same uncle for 20 years, every... Every Christmas, every Easter. Preacher, I've been witnessing to my niece for, for 10 years. Every time I see her, she ain't never going to get saved. He ain't never going to get saved. They ain't never gonna... Don't ever say never. Because at one point, somebody would have said never about you. And then you got born again. Don't give up. Don't quit being the witness that God has called you to be. And then notice this. I like this verse 20 and I'm done. It says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen 
as it was told unto them. You know what there was here? There was steadfast rejoicing. You know who was not bothered? The shepherds. They didn't care whether people believed them or not. You know why? Because they knew what they saw was real. And so at the end of the day, though I'm sure they would have preferred for people to hear and, and listen and receive and respond to what was said, it didn't bother them one bit. They just kept on rejoicing, praising God. You know why? Because they knew that they had the right of it. They knew that what they had seen was real. They knew what God had showed them, what God had done in their life. Don't let those moments ruin your testimony or ruin your spirit. What you know to be true is still true, whether anybody believes it or not. What the Lord has said is right and is true. What the Bible records is true. Whether anyone in your life accepts it or not, it's true. And so keep that testimony. Keep pushing forward. Keep keep being a witness. Keep being like... You don't have to be ugly, but you ought to be bold. You don't have to be obnoxious, but you ought to be steadfast. And you ought to be willing to say, listen, if nobody else gets it, that's okay. I know what God's done in my heart. Sometimes there's conflict. Sometimes there's confusion. Sometimes there's criticism. Preacher, how do I deal with these things? Seek the Lord in conflict. (laughs) Surrender yourself to the Lord in the confusion. And be steadfast for the Lord against criticism. And you know, even in this time of year, God can do things, grow you in your Christian walk. Let's bow together this morning. As a musician comes to play, the altar is open. I've already preached a message, 40 minutes or so. If God spoke to your heart, won't you come meet Him down here? I could ask a few more questions. I could say a few more things. But let's be honest. If you're willing to meet with God, you don't need me to do those things. So why don't you come find a place down here? And won't you deal with the Lord? Bow your heart and head before Him. Whatever the matter is, you may have been dealing with, with conflict. You may have been dealing with confusion. You may have been dealing with criticism. Whatever it is, come and surrender it to the Lord. Let Him have His will and way. Father, bless this time of invitation in Christ's name.